Welcome, everyone, and welcome to uh, the ICEJ weekly webinar. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, and our senior spokesman. Uh, it's great to have everyone joining us today, Thursday, 4 p.m., our regular hour, Jerusalem time, for the ICEJ weekly webinar. And we're coming to you this week uh, during our Envision Pastors and Ministry Leaders Conference. This is um, an annual event that we hold uh, usually around the time of the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, where we bring pastors and ministry leaders from all over the world for a week of uh, a, a conference to really dig into uh, uh, good theology and prophetic insights on Israel, current affairs, what is, what's the situation here in Israel and the region, take uh, field trips to places that you normally don't go on a uh, regular tour of the Holy Land. And uh, we've just had a really good time. Of course, uh, because of COVID, we couldn't hold Envision for two years, but this is our first uh, in-person uh, Envision event in a couple of years, and uh, also hybrid. It's all blind, people watching from around the world. We have around 100 pastors, ministry leaders, and others from around um, uh, 25 countries uh, here in Jerusalem this week, and then we have another uh, um, a hundred and some joining online that register online for Envision. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, or we encourage you to join. Sometimes, if you're working in a church or whatever, we you know pretty much take anyone. But it's really in-depth teaching uh, about uh, Israel, the Bible, the church, the relationship, and all. And we've had a fantastic uh, week. And uh, not only uh, some really, really good uh, speakers on current events, but uh, the, the biblical and the spiritual content has been very, very rich. And I think one of the themes that have been running through Envision uh, this week, uh, our theme was uh, possessing the land of promise, sort of a follow-up from our Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, just a few months ago in the fall of uh, last year, uh, our feast there was the land of promise and you're possessing it. And uh, But it just um, seems there the Holy Spirit has worked, uh, um, woven a theme into this year about how the church should be rightly related to Israel in a new and, and fresh way. Our president, Dr. Jurgen Buehler, on the opening evening uh, really set the tone by uh, explaining, he was giving uh, some of his recent readings and, and research about the where the breach came between the Gentile church and the um, people of Israel, uh, the, the Jewish people. And, uh, of course, the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 A.D. was uh, uh, a real monumental moment. It did good things in setting the theology of the church concerning the Trinity, the divinity, and humanity of Jesus, um, and did good things, but it also represented a clear break and breach between the church and Israel, the church and the uh, the Jewish people, where it was absolutely forbidden from then on to to worship the hold your worship services on Shabbat, you had to do it Sunday. So many other ways that they divide, they separated very uh, purposefully from the. Um, what they would call the circumcision in those days, what the Bible would, would also call that. and But uh, it had long centuries of consequences about how God is repairing that relationship today, especially through the Messianic believers. And but Jurgen made the point that this breach and this, this uh, division, this split between the Gentile church and the, uh, separating from anything Jewish, anything Hebraic, even uh, a, a Jewish Jesus, that it actually started with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, that within 20 or 30 years, there were some of the early church fathers, uh, like Justin the Martyr, Eusebius, very plainly uh, um, wrote anti-Semitic uh, uh, writings uh, against the Jewish people and forbidding, you know, saying we shouldn't worship on 
Shabbat in war, how can we worship on the same day as the Christ killers, things like this. And it was very penetrating and, and convicting uh, for all our pastors and everyone to to sort of understate and like even the origins of worshiping on Sunday, which, uh, you know, we it's, it's so built into our culture and all, but the oranges of that were not, it wasn't so healthy and, and nice. And, uh, but as we look at this, we're, we're just uh, really um, from that, from what Jurgen said and other speakers after him, Benjamin Berger, Peter Suka here and others, we started building the the modern dynamic uh, with the restoration of Israel, how the Holy Spirit is working to rightly relate uh, Christians and the church to the restored Jewish nation of Israel and the Jewish people, and particularly the remnant of Jewish believers here, the Messianic Jews, and how all along God always wanted unity in the believing remnant in the earth that Israel represented this. It was quite interesting in our, um, I'm giving you a synopsis of it, vision of little tidbits, and then we're going to show um, one of the speakers to share the exciting things that have been happening here. But uh, one speaker uh, was saying, look, the menorah represents Israel, the nation, the people of Israel, and the Bible instructed in Law of Moses that it had to be made out of one piece of gold, which represents, even though Israel's 12 tribes, it's one nation and one people uh, in serving the Lord. And then another speaker the next day talks about how the high priest wore a breastplate that even though it had stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, it was one high priest with one breastplate representing the unity of the 12 tribes before the Lord and worshiping him and really good uh, um, insights into you know biblical truths of how God wants unity and there's been a real sense of unity among us Gentile believers from all these nations uh, joining with local messianic uh, pastors and leaders and worship leaders and also Arab uh, believers and, and pastors uh, and leaders as well to, uh, to really uh, become one in the Holy Spirit and see what God is doing, how he's reconciling us in Christ. That's been a wonderful theme running throughout uh, this week's Envision conference. When we get to um, uh, the, uh, some of the other uh, messages at uh, Envision, uh, some of the current affairs have been excellent. Uh, we had a, uh, a, a professor, he's an assistant professor at Barlon University, Eli Rettig, and he's an expert on, on energy, global energy needs, uh, the whole field of, of energy, and, um, and especially addressing the global energy crisis since the Ukraine war and and deliberate efforts by some governments and, and the Davos crowd and all to sort of wean us from, uh, very much to wean us from fossil fuels because of fears of global warming and climate change. And uh, he, he, um, he made some interesting comments, this uh, Professor Redtag, uh, he showed a graph chart that uh, it, um, it basically showed that today uh, the world, uh, as far as the world energy consumption, uh, around 81% of all our energy nets met and the needs are met by fossil fuels, burning fossil fuels, which is coal, gas, uh, and oil. And this, he said, this is about the same percentage, about 81%, as in the 1970s. So... In that sense, we really haven't made much progress with all the hype and all the promotion of global warming, climate change. We got to change all these celebrities uh, going in their private jets, speeding the uh, atmosphere with all sorts of pollutants that uh, they're going all around hyping this message, but we really haven't changed much. And that the, the sort of new uh, renewable energy uh, resources, such as wind and solar energy, that it only represents 
of uh, the amount of energy that's produced to run the world and run our economies. That's a minuscule. Nuclear was around 5%. And uh, so, you know, that was quite interesting to see how there really hasn't been much change. And yet in America, they're not drilling, they're not uh, getting a lot of the oil and gas out, and, and but they'll go to other countries to try and get it. And it's a uh, um, it's just a strange situation. But uh, Eli Retek, uh, we're going to have him on on a webinar soon. But uh, uh, he also talked about how Israel has been a leader in solar energy. Part of the problem is that solar energy panels, they take up so much space. You need a lot of space. They're doing things to try and concentrate how the, the energy from the sun it is uh, collected in these solar powers to create more megawatts. All the different ways Israel is, like in so many er other areas, being a leader, an entrepreneur um, in research and development in solar energy. So he was a great speaker. My good friend Gil Hoffman, who for uh, over 20 years was the chief political correspondent for the Jerusalem Post, uh, he's interviewed all the Israeli and even Palestinian leaders over many years. He is now the uh, executive director of Honest Reporting, which is a leading uh, media monitoring group of both the, the mainstream media and social media now. And he was uh, fantastic in giving um, uh, a sort of overview of the new Israeli government. Uh, that we shouldn't be so alarmed uh, by all the media reports that it's so right-wing and it's trying to you know, destroy the Israeli courts with these judicial reforms and, and such. Um, he, he was very excellent in his, his presentation. I, I think uh, one of the points he made, and some other speakers have talked about it, uh, Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas, is 89 years old, uh, 80, excuse me, and uh, he's in poor health. There's going to be um, uh, a transition to new leaders soon, and it's probably going to get chaotic. Some of the Western assessments are that the Palestinian Authority itself will collapse uh, uh, out of this, but that he really hasn't changed since the early 1980s when he was studying in uh, uh, a, an, an academy, a Soviet academy in Moscow, and wrote a, or at least he signed a dissertation um, in which he claimed that the Zionists collaborated with the Nazis um, uh, in, in order to produce the Holocaust to steal Palestinian lands. This is in his dissertation, and the Holocaust was probably not as big. It was only 800 or 890,000 dead instead of over six million and i think uh, uh you know he was pointing out how none of the media ever touches this that this is the sort of leader someone elected in 2004 and is still in power uh, 19 years later so or 2005 was when he uh, was elected president so uh, all this time later, 17, 18 years, he's still the leader of the Palestinian Authority. No one, everyone's worried about Israeli democracy, and no one seems to care about Palestinian democracy, that they haven't had free and fair elections in almost two decades. And you've got this a guy who is basic or whatever he says to the West, he, he knows how to lie. And and uh, his little broken English, but when it uh, comes to the West, uh, to to the Arab world, he he is still anti-Semitic, claiming that the Palestinians have been through fifty Holocausts. When in fact he wrote a dissertation that says, although was minimum maybe eight hundred thousand dead, it wasn't that big a deal. So these are some of the things we're learning and and getting catching. We're going to have. Uh, and a, a talk now by one of the other speakers, but we've also been up uh, to the Knesset. We had a good meeting in the Knesset um, with uh, Sharon, uh, Sharon Haskell. She's with the Yesha Tea Party, and she um, is uh, uh, the co-chair along with Yuli Edelstein 
of Likud, uh, they're co-chair of the uh, Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, and uh, so our group of pastors, they toured the Knesset, they heard from a Knesset member. She's always been terrific and very warm and engaging with uh, Christians. Uh, some may remember we had her at the feast and she was talking about the protests in Iran and she got she has these trademark uh, large uh, hair and uh, very curly and lovely and she uh, cut a piece of her hair and, and to in protest to stand in solidarity with the women who are pro- were protesting in Iran over the death of a woman for being uh, uh, getting arrested by the modesty police there and, and dying. Uh, while being tortured. So um, we went to the Knesset. We went to Ariel University uh, yesterday. It's been pouring rain here in Israel, but we went around uh, Ariel and uh, in between these downpours, seeing some of the different departments uh, that they have. One of them very interesting is the Wine Research Center. They are reviving 300 different types, species, of uh, grape plants that produce wine that were all here two to three thousand years ago that gone through the land found different wild strains of grapes growing out there that are wine producing and have uh, are rooting them and growing them and studying them to help reproduce the wines all the way back from the days of king david i don't know if many people know it but king david Planted, it says in the Bible, we planted vineyards down um, on the edge of the Negev, and uh, that the uh, the tradition is that the wines there were very popular in Rome in the first century or so, uh, and even earlier they made their way to all over the the Roman Empire as it was growing, and uh, so we now want to show you one of the um, briefings that we received during our Envision uh, Pastors and Leaders Conference this week. This was on Tuesday from my friend, Dr. Dan Diker. Um, we uh, I first ran into Dan, uh, it started engaging with him. Uh, he was with the IBA News, it was the Israeli official Channel One, the official state TV every afternoon years ago. They would have a, a, about a 15-minute or half-hour news broadcast in English, and he was part of their news team, a reporter and analyst. Uh, he's a graduate of Harvard. He started working for the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs as well, one of the leading uh, think tanks here in Israel. He's been with them for uh, well over 20-some years, and uh, Dan was recently appointed as the new president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, taking the place of uh, uh, Dr. Dory Gold, who and I ran it for many years, uh, Israel's former ambassador to the United Nations. But uh, Dan, I uh, used to use him on the radio a lot uh, when we had front page Jerusalem and uh, also uh, always go into him for analysis in the Jerusalem Post-Christian Edition when we did a monthly magazine with the Jerusalem Post. So Dan's been a good friend of the embassy for many years. We now want to play uh, in, in, um, what is that sort of a regional briefing of where Israel rate is right now in terms of its geo-strategic uh, position. So can we please roll there? David, a dear friend, a friend of faith, a man of faith, and a neighbor, always had fattening sweets when I came over to the Christian embassy. President Jürgen Bueller, another great friend, a man of faith, a leader. Um, it's really, um, Pastor Sukahira, where are you? I, I, I would give up 15 minutes of my time to hear you go on. I think we need to bring you to the Knesset and have a teaching in the Knesset, right? We do. I tell you, I walked in in this hazardous day and I felt so inspired in the five minutes that I'm sitting there. I felt I was learning. I'm learning Torah with a great rabbi. Here you are. And this is the kingdom of God. I'm a man of faith myself and is the president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, uh, which is, as we see it, uh, the, the diplomatic and security anchor between East and West. 
We are dedicated to faith-based diplomacy. In fact, in another hour, I will be racing back in this rain to meet with uh, Sheikh Ahmed Obed Mansouri, who from the United Arab Emirates, as a, who uh, has started the Museum of the Crossroads between Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism in Dubai. So uh, it looks like prophecy. Prophecy is unfolding before our very eyes. Who in this room, ladies and gentlemen, pastors and leaders of faith in the great Judeo-Christian tradition would have imagined that the children of Abraham in 2020 would have signed an accord between Israel and its harshest enemies for decades, Sudan. Do we remember what happened in Khartoum in 1967? No peace, no recognition, no negotiations. And today we not only have peace, we have normalization. We have recognition. And these countries, each one of which, the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, has a MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, relationship with each of these institutes. In the in the places of, of, of greatest adversarial enmity for decades. No one could have imagined, no one could have imagined such a development. To be able to walk through the streets of Dubai, as I was able to just weeks after the uh, agreement was signed with uh, Mohammed uh, bin Zayed, His Majesty, and to be able to wear a kippah in the streets of Dubai uh, really tells us something about Pastor, what you were talking about just a few minutes ago. So the kingdom of God, we're in the land of God, the holy land. And from this land goes forth the Torah of Israel. And by extension, the great tradition of Christianity. Our traditions today, our peoples today, the Jewish people, the sovereign Jewish people in the, in the land of Israel, in the state of Israel. And I would argue, uh, by extension, our Christian brothers and sisters in this place in the Middle East are under threat today in a way that I don't think we've seen since the refounding of the Third Jewish Commonwealth in 1948. We're living at a moment of tremendous urgency, great threats and also great opportunities as uh, the Abraham Accords have uh, indicated to us. You probably are, all of us are aware that uh, as a matter of fact, Secretary of, State, Secretary of State Blinken, who was my classmate at Harvard College, we used to speak in French in uh, freshman week about these international matters, and, and here he comes to Jerusalem. And in fact, if anyone had a doubt about whether this is the land of God and the centrality of all civilizations, I wanted to schlep, that's, a, that's not an English word, I wanted to schlep this. This is stands in the middle of the entrance of our office. You may recognize this. This is the uh, this is the clover leaf representing the Trinity by Heinrich Bunting of 1581, and Reverend Bunting had a vision for the world. And if you notice here, is the clover leaf. You can yeah you can. It's like a game show. Carol Merrill comes up. <laughs> and you can see, as Reverend Bunting envisioned as a leading German theologian, that the world would come into order with Israel in the middle as the anchor, the fulcrum of, of, uh, of, of Western civilization and Eastern civilization with Europe, Asia, Middle East, and Africa, and of course North America here off, off to the side. And his vision... <laughs> And his and and Reverend Bunting's vision of over 400 years ago has now become a reality, and Israel is in the middle of the world, one of the smallest nations on earth, and yet has one of the most central positions of influence, of power, and of potential and possibility in the world. So that stands in the lobby. David and Jurgen have come in many times and seen that, and and we see the. The reality that this has become hundreds of years after it was envisioned. Well, the, the the Bible envisioned it, you know, well over 3,700 years ago. But but uh, it's extraordinary to see what is unfolding uh, before us today.
from the, in terms of diplomatically, in terms of security. Thank you, Pastor. That's great. Now, I want to, uh, you're aware not only that the Secretary of State has come, but he must have recognized that Israel's in the center of the world because he felt comfortable even telling us how to manage our democracy, which is the first time, I think, in the history of modern politics that any major Western leader tells another Western ally how to conduct the debate over the unfolding of its democracy. So uh, apparently, uh, Tony feels very comfortable in Israel uh, as, a, as a Jew himself uh, and an American leader. Uh, the, the threats and hazards unfolding before us, ladies and gentlemen, are very substantial. Uh, during your visit here, uh, according to foreign news sources, there were five major explosions in, uh, in Iran above uh, ballistic missile factories and drone factories uh, that were a major threat uh, uh, to Israel. Uh, and uh, those, uh, those uh, explosions, uh, according to foreign news sources, have been attributed to, to uh, people very close to here. But bear in mind that since the Iranian regime took 53 U.S. hostages and released them, uh, when President Reagan came into office in January of 1981, the Iranian regime has publicly declared its commitment to decimate and to annihilate the Jewish people in its own country. This is the only, it is the only case. Uh, perhaps uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation is uh, perhaps uh, a second possibility, but it's the only case in which a UN member country, one of the largest UN member countries, has dedicated itself publicly and declared itself its commitment to, uh, uh, to a politicide, uh, to, to a second mass murder of Jews uh, within uh, the last uh, 70 years uh, since uh, the last, since the Holocaust took place. And um, I think the concern in Israel is that there hadn't been enough outcry by the international community against the Iranian regime. And now the Iranian regime's men and women in that country are crying out, risking their lives, sacrificing their lives for freedom against one of the cruelest uh, regimes that we have known in modern times. And uh, Israel has been, uh, we have, uh, the Iranian regime has been at war with Israel since 1979. And people are unaware of that. In the international diplomatic discussion, it becomes very much uh, the lingua franca of that discussion is, well, if Israel is forced to attack Syria or, or Lebanon, it could heat things up in terms of the Iranian, uh, uh, the Iranian uh, nuclear development of Iranian nuclear material and uh, nuclear weapons. Ladies and gentlemen, since 1979, Iran has been at war with Israel. And uh, the major threat when we talk about Iran is not the nuclear uh, fish, uh, not nuclear fissile development, uranium development per se, even though the Iranian regime is very close to weapons-grade uranium, that's 90% uranium development, where over 60%, it's a short hop, skip, and a jump to get from 60 to 90. You know what the major problem is? That the Holy Land is surrounded by the Iranian regime. Many people don't realize that. Lebanon has 200,000 rockets pointed here, don't get nervous. We're we're good. Uh, and pointed at 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 you know it has uh, laser guided uh, munitions as well. And Israel, the Israeli security echelons consider the Iranian regime takeover of Lebanon beginning in the early 1980s, and controlled by Iranian backed, directed, funded, inspired Hezbollah. Hezbollah is not a Lebanese resistance group. It is a, an extension of the Iranian regime in Tehran. The second threat we have is if you go a little bit from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock to Syria, is you have tens of thousands of Iranian operatives in Syria. And part of the mysterious explosions that took place in Tehran were to stall the possibility of Israel facing unmanned uh, aircraft and drones flying over Nevealan Hotel and firing uh, conventional and non-conventional weaponry at us here. Uh, it also was mentioned to me yesterday by a former senior official of the United States government under uh, President uh, President Bush, the son, uh, that uh, the explosions yesterday will have a substantial effect 
on Iran's uh, supply of, Ru- of, of, of uh, Iran's supply of Russia uh, unmanned aircrafts as well. So we will have a, there is a tipping point there that sometimes hasn't been alluded to or paid attention to enough. And the third threat in terms of Israel being surrounded by the Iranian regime is to our south in Gaza, uh, where Iranian uh, scientists and uh, security officials have been very involved in the terror tunnels the digging of these tunnels, it's almost like a horror movie, the digging of these tunnels which happened over the last uh, seven or eight years and which was ca- which very highly professional, well-funded tunnels by the Iranians uh, that uh, through which highly trained Hamas operatives who are trained where? They're trained in Lebanon by the Hezbollah and they go to Tehran, they get to train directly there, uh, would come up by, through the hundreds and kidnap and kill children and women in surrounding Negev settlements uh, or communities. So Iran really does, Israel is encircled by the Iranian regime, lest people think that Iran is some sort of bad dream uh, 1,500 kilometers to the east. They're very much around us, they're surrounding us, and they have publicly committed to destroy us. I would believe every single word that the Iranian regime says, and we should prepare uh, appropriately. Um, but that's not the biggest threat that we're facing. And I say this to you as fellow Americans and Europeans and Russians and Africans and Fijians and, 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 uh, blessed people from all over uh, the world. The major threat that Israel faces today actually comes from the Palestinian Authority. They're not even Hamas. Israel today in the West has been recast as an apartheid, racist, genocidal war criminal that is slated for destruction by the offices of international organizations. It's quite unbelievable, as I tell you this, it's as someone who was in apartheid South Africa, as a young tennis player in the 1970s, and, and witnessed the evil regime of apartheid. The, the facility with which international organizations that were born on the heels of the Holocaust, I'm talking about the United Nations and its agencies, would have the, the frame of mind, would have the chutzpah to call Israel an apartheid state and understand, let's understand, when they use the word apartheid, they're using it as a code word for the Nazification of the Jewish state. The Nazification of the Jewish state was a key strategy of the Palestine Liberation Organization since its founding in 1964. As a matter of fact, Ahmed Shukeri, a name you may not be familiar with, who was a, a, an Arab statesman, he's the first Palestinian leader who established the Palestine National, the first Palestine National Covenant in 1964, called us in 1961 when we took the Nazi Adolf Eichmann from Latin America to Israel to trial for murdering uh, tens of thousands of Jews. He called us then Eichmann in a state. He called us then apartheid in 1961. This is before, three years before the PLO charter was, uh, was first promoted. Where? In Jerusalem. When King... Uh, when King Abdullah II's father, King Hussein, was the king of Jordan and controlled the eastern side of Jerusalem. And then all the more Arafat, Yasser Arafat, who was an Islamist, who was a Marxist-Leninist, who was a student both of the uh, Muslim Brotherhood on the one hand, through his history in Cairo as the head of the student union in Cairo in the 1950s, and then having become an agent of the Soviets, uh, he, together with the Soviets, wrote the second Palestine PLO charter in 1968 and becoming the chairman in 1969. Between then and today, the PLO, which now has become known in uh, all practicality as the PA, the Palestinian Authority, the internationally recognized Palestinian pre-state leadership, Nobel Prize winners, Nobel Prize winners, has prosecuted one of the most effective 
political war stress, warfare strategies, non-extra military, non-military strategies based on deception, disinformation, dividing the Jewish state from its Jewish brothers and sisters in the West, and, by the way, an express strategy of dividing the state of Israel from its Christian brothers and sisters around the world. That was an express strategy of the Marxist-Leninist, you know, life without God, if you will, strategy of the PLO. And if you look at the charter today, which you can get on Google, you can just go on your phone, look at the 1968 Palestine National Charter that refers to Zionism, the national liberation movement of the Jewish people that came back to their homeland as the Bible prophesied after 2,000 years out of the house as a racist, genocidal project that is due for destruction. That today is the exact same manifesto that motivated a young 13-year-old boy from Silwan, 10 kilometers from here, to take a gun and go and, and attempt to murder Israeli citizens by the city of David, which you're, the pastor just talked about, which you'll be going and see. The reason that Israelis today have woken up, and unfortunately I think some of Israel's greatest allies have not woken up when they keep talking about this thing called the two-state solution, because there was never even, they call it in, in, uh, in Aramaic, a habamina, there was never even a first thought from any Palestinian leader to accept the notion of a Jewish national sovereign entity anywhere in the Middle East. Never happened. Israel, in its thirst for peace, made a very dangerous deal with the devil in 1993 when it actually conferred its own legitimacy on a self-declared terror organization, the PLO, who from its founding was dedicated to the destruction of the Jewish people and in its, in its nation state. And they make no bones about it. And what they have done so sophisticatedly, and we saw it just the other day through the massacre on, on Friday night, by the way, International Holocaust Day. How's that for symbolism? To massacre seven people outside a synagogue. And the next morning by the city of David. How symbolic all of this is, by the way. A 13-year-old child taught to hate by his own school teachers. Look at the books in the Palestinian Authority. If you have three Jews on one side and seven Jews on the other, how many bullets does it take to kill all of them? This is the language in the school books. Where is the international free world? Where's the free world on this issue? And I would say, where's Israel on this issue? Well, Israel has woken up now. That is why in the last few days, give me a signal as to how much time I have because I, could, I can go on to it. I have seven more minutes? Okay, good. Uh, uh, so, Israel has woken up, ladies and gentlemen, and that is why what we've seen, and I can share with you through the Hebrew media, that everyone today in public officials, media, and the public discourse, as a sometimes um, how rancorous and divided rhetorically, you know, this country can become, came together on the one point, everyone points a collective finger, Palestinian Authority. The most rabid anti-Semitic discourse since the Nazi era. Just go, you can go and see it. You can go, go look at Palestinian Media Watch if you want to see full-fledged, bloody anti-Semitic discourse in, in, in full color. Just go, you can go onto your phones and see it. The Palestinian Authority pays terrorists and their families as a, as a budgeted line item with your tax dollars to incentivize an entire society to radicalize into terror, which they've been doing for 30 years. Frankly, we at the Jerusalem Center are undertaking with Arab and uh, Jewish analysts a major academic compendium to expose this pay-for-slay budget, this pay-for-slay pay, this pay uh, program, the anti-Semitic discourse, incitement to murdering Jews and Israelis, not just Jews, but Israelis, um, as well as the use and abuse of international legal fora such as the ICC International Criminal Court, the International Court of Justice, all of which are being approached by the non-sovereign Palestinian Authority in order to charge Israel with all of these crimes, so-called, that I mentioned to you 15 minutes ago, genocide, racism, war crimes, apartheid, you name it. And if you want to know about blood libel literature, Mahmoud Abbas, I'll take the one example because I don't want to take all the time in it because we'll talk about what we can do about it and what, the what we have, the opportunities that we have. 
in the Middle East. Mahmoud Abbas in the middle of 2022 was standing with, uh, with uh, the Chancellor of Germany yeah, on an official diplomatic trip. And in, in Berlin, accuses Israel of 50 holocausts against the Palestinian people. Now, what is difficult to understand is, is and by the way, this is the same Dr. Mahmoud Abbas who denied that the Holocaust existed and wrote at, uh, uh, at, uh, at Moscow University his thesis that according to Russian experts was actually not written by him, it was signed by him, but it was a thesis on the denial of the Holocaust. So he denies the Holocaust on the one time, by, by, but then by accusing Israel of, of undertaking 50 Holocausts today against the Palestinian people. And the fact is that there was no major uproar that the, the German premier didn't get up and walk off the stage is an issue of great concern to us diplomatically. That is the, the, our, so the major threat facing Israel today is the weaponization of the Palestinian Authority's international legitimacy and its determination to, un, to uproot and destroy Israel's international legitimacy. That is classic um, extra-military, net-centric warfare, fourth-generation warfare, warfare beyond changing the battlefield of warfare to the international community. And as our security officials have said, if you don't have international legitimacy, you don't have national security because it compromises our ability to defend ourselves. It, it, and, and, and in fact, when, when the UN has a committee of inquiry, the only one in the international community against who? Just against Israel, not North Korea, not China, not Russia, not Iran, permanent committee of inquiry, millions of dollars, analysts, diplomats, only against the Jewish state. We know something is very, very wrong. And when human rights organizations have, uh, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have targeted one country in the world for apartheid, it is only the state of Israel. So that threat to our international legitimacy, in my assessment and in thinking the assessment of others is the major national security threat that Israel is facing and what we're trying to do at the Jerusalem Center is raise these issues to the top of the international diplomatic agenda, stand firmly as a united uh, Israeli, Israeli body politic, and I'm talking about Jews and Arabs and Christians and Muslims and Circassians and Druze, all of us together. Because the, this holy house and this holy land is shared by, by many cultures, and we believe of the great importance of standing strong, all of us, in this great miracle of history, the state of Israel, and fighting for our rights and our history and the future of all of us, all of us, Jews and Christians and Muslims, uh, as was understood and prophesied almost uh, 4,000 years ago. Let me say, on a, on a with one minute left, on an optimistic note, we started with the children of Abraham, and the fact is that at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, jcpa.org, I would be blessed and, and honored for all of you to be involved with us as we are committed to faith-based diplomacy between East and West. We are hosting A Miracle Has Happened. On March 27th of this year, for the first time in the history of the State of Israel, 14 African countries are coming to Israel seeking our advice and technology and brotherhood and sisterhood around agenda items of critical mutual concern, food security, water security, national security, de-radicalization, counterterrorism, political and social cohesion. We did not have to beg or buy or sell ourselves. Our African neighbors have, have come to us, and I'm talking about countries like Somalia, Djibouti, Sudan, South Sudan, Somaliland, Uganda, Kenya, Nigeria, countries that we had no relationships with, some of which we had in the 1960s, but after the 1973 war cut off. 
they are waiting online for partnership with the Jewish state. It is a miracle of unimaginable import. So while we have Iran and we have a incorrigible Palestinian authority doing everything to uproot our legitimacy, when we look to the East, we're looking to the possibilities that miracle has brought us. Our Arab partners, and believe me, Saudi Arabia, uh, Mohammed bin, bin Salman, is very much behind in offering permission, in granting permission to his Gulf state colleagues to come and engage with us. And now we have many African countries engaging with us, engaging with us, coming to Jerusalem, President Bueller, not having to go secretly take off your kippah and sneak into the African countries. No, have them come here publicly and celebrate being in the kingdom of God, in the land of God, and God, and, and God willing, we will work very hard at the Jerusalem Center to secure our future as Jews and Christians, as people of faith, and as the Bible has promised and prophesied that we should be a, the center, the fulcrum of security, stability, prosperity, and peace as we move forward into, the, in, in, into this, uh, in this 21st century. God bless you. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks uh, to our friend, Dr. Dan Diker, president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Uh, just a little more background, for about 22 years, the International Christian Embassy uh, Jerusalem had our global headquarters here in Jerusalem in the German colony neighborhood on Emek Rafaim, and on the end of our block was the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, or the more prominent think tanks here in Israel, he's now heading that, and he was—he's been a good friend for many years, and very, very good insights. I tell you, it's a—it's an important uh, uh, point that over the past year, as we watched the war, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, unfold, and they tried to justify, and they got to go denazify Ukraine. And uh, in the Nazification of, of Ukraine, it's basically the process of trying to to stick this label on Ukraine in order to justify their aggression on it. Uh, and and you think it's strange, and the, the Ukrainians aren't really Nazis, and even uh, you know there may be a few French groups that are sort of neo-Nazi, but there's a lot of those in Russia too. And they're not doing it in Russia, so it was just strange accusations. But the fact is, as Dan Dyker pointed out, that uh, with so uh, it was actually Soviet strategy developed by the Soviets in uh, tandem with the Palestinian, uh, the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, to already start uh, labeling Israel as Nazis back in the 1960s. That, uh, you know, when you put those two things together, you can say, it, it, you know, it's strange with Ukraine. It has absolutely no place with regard to Israel. But this is uh, the sort of world we live in. Uh, people live in their own sordid, uh, uh, really dark uh, bubbles. And uh, it's a shame we've got to let light penetrate in the Palestinian uh, society and culture. And so it's no longer this... Uh, culture of death and martyrdom to try and destroy Jews. But we, um, we've just ha been having a very good time. I tell you, the rich spiritual content at Envision has been terrific. Our former executive director, Malcolm Hedding, um, he gave a uh, message last night. Uh, uh, really, I've, I've been walking with the Lord for, for 50 years, heard many, many sermons, uh, but I've never heard a message so penetrating, so challenging, uh, where the Word of God divides between soul and spirit and the intentions of the heart than what he preached last night about uh, being soulish Christians versus someone whose who's spirit, their spirit man, is so set apart to, to want fellowship with our, our Maker and the living God through the Holy Spirit, that uh, and how you uh, how you can better operate in the Spirit and not be so uh, uh, 
vulnerable to our flesh and our soul telling us what to do is excellent message. And I know uh, it's probably not quite fair for me to be telling everyone out there just how good uh, this Envision conference has been. We've been doing this for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, uh, bringing in pastors once a year from all over the world for a special conference to envision them, enrich them, enlighten them on uh, the modern restoration of Israel, so many other things. But this is the best ever, no doubt about it. And uh, people are, are, are writing in. We, we're hearing about it. We want to see more. We want these videos, these teachings. But uh, to be fair to everyone who's already signed up and, and paid for it, uh, it's just best that we offer and, and open it up to anyone now who wants to be uh, wants to uh, benefit from the video teachings, everything that I just about everything we've done is now on video on demand and within 24 hours is being put up on the streaming platform where you can go on there and watch Dan Diker, watch Gil Hoffman, watch Malcolm Hedding, watch Jurgen Bueller, Peter Sukahira, Benjamin Berger, all these uh, good uh, speakers that we've been having. We had a panel of Israeli, uh, Jewish, and Arab pastors the south, uh, the, around noon today. We had a panel um, of uh, Israeli business leaders who are believers and giving their uh, insights into just how amazing Israel's economy is and what they're doing uh, to not only build the nation, build Zion, but build the kingdom here. Uh, and so many other things. We had Julia Popoff, who is a Bible teacher in the Word of Life Fellowship in Moscow. It's the largest evangelical church in all of Russia, and she came and really spoke her heart about her love for Israel and the Jewish people and the sort of difficulties they're facing there in Russia, and it really touched our hearts, and we prayed for the Russian people today. Uh, all of this is uh, available on the Envision uh, platform, and if you want to sign up for it, there's still time. You can enjoy all the content, the videos on demand from all the live uh, events here this week at Envision. Plus, uh, there's another 20, 25 other video teachings from the best of last year's feast and the best of last year's Envision. You can view all of that on our basic po uh, package for the next three months. So there's still time if you will go and register. It is, it is at Envision dot icej.org you can still register there we'll keep it open for everyone so if you really want to enjoy all the content uh, and really be enriched what the lord is is speaking here to us please go to envision.icej.org okay that's it for this week's icej weekly webinar we want to thank you again for joining us we'll be back next week uh, with uh, I think we're going to have a, a, a current affairs uh, webinar next week with my colleague uh, Mormir Kalos, our international. He's a vice president for international affairs. He's going to have a special guest from the Spanish-speaking world talking about uh, things being done there to fight uh, anti-Semitism. And uh, so join us then uh, at four o'clock next Thursday, our regular time for the ICJ weekly webinar. And also, don't forget, next Wednesday, also at 4 p.m. Jerusalem time, uh, we have our global prayer gathering coming together, Christians from all over the world, to pray and seek the Lord concerning Israel, the region, the nations, our churches, our families, and just seeking God together and believing together for great things and great answers to prayer. So that's this, today's program. I am David Parsons of the International Christian Embassy, Jerusalem, wishing you shalom from Jerusalem.